Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Westwood One presents The Pollsters. The Pollsters. And now, Margie and Kristen. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. It's crazy out there. It's 100 degrees, literally. It's 100 degrees, figuratively. Oh, we should have used Nelly as the song of the week. Oh. It's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. The Cold War ditties will will have plenty of use for you. You were about to get a heavy <laughs> dose of Elton John's Nikita. <laughs> and we were running out of 80s Cold War. I'm just getting uh, right into oh, that's it. Good. No, that's good. That's good. That's perfect. No, I, I, I didn't have this anything interesting to say, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much the beginning and end of my analysis of, of the week. <laughs> perfect. This is better. Um, it is pretty hot out there. <laughs> <laughs> this week's top line. Trump can't quit Russia. Is it his temperament or his policies that are holding his numbers down around 20%? We'll take a look at the polls that show whether things are getting hot in here for the Trump administration. God, that was terrible. No, I'm so sorry, guys. Welcome to what today's show is going to be like. Yes. Uh, then, is imitation the sincerest form of flattery? The Wall Street Journal and NBC take a page out of Echelon's book with their new Trump country survey. And I finally get my solar wall question answered. Then, how are the polls looking for the midterms? What are things looking like for Congress? Is zombie care dead? It may be, but you know what isn't? Internet trolling. We'll talk about that and happy Emoji Day. How much do people know about emojis? Yes. Okay. So first, our poll of the week, and this comes from Gallup. And it's interesting question, interesting results, perhaps a little bit of a surprise or counterintuitive. They asked um, people, they asked smokers and also folks who self-identify as being overweight, um, how often do you feel discriminated against in public life or employment because of your smoking or your weight? And smokers were more, far more likely to say that they feel discriminated against Excuse me. 13% of smokers say they feel discriminated against every day. 44% of smokers say never. Those who say the same about their weight, 1% say every day. 83% say never. I found, I mean, I guess there's a, you know, a lot of discussion, a lot of, in fact, probably more public discussion about the challenges that people feel and, uh, in, daily life due to weight. There's so much conversation about that. There's less conversation and a conversation that is multifaceted, right? I guess there's not as much of a multifaceted conversation about smoking. It's sort of like one direction. But smoking is a thing you choose, whereas for some people, their bodies are just the way that they are. Right. And the other thing is that somebody else's weight doesn't necessarily affect 
another person. Whereas if I'm standing around and somebody's smoking next to me, it, it is an action that affects other people more than a, a, a personal issue that you may not have any control over and that doesn't affect other people. Yeah, and I'm not even talking about the merit one way or the other. I'm talking about the perception that people feel about being discriminated against where I can see if you're a smoke, you know, there's a physical like no smoking here, yeah. right? So there's like a, there's a law, like if you smoke, you can't stand here. So I can see, you know, in that context that folks who are smoking say, yeah, every day I have to go well, smoke yeah, outside. I have to. What I mean is that it's more, yeah. it's more socially acceptable yeah. to tell someone who's smoking to like do something to be like, no, you don't get to smoke here. Or, oh, that's gross that you're doing that. Whereas it is way less acceptable yes. and not okay to tell someone that their body is gross or you can't be like that here. Right. And we've come a long way from smoking from the days when I first moved to Washington and you could smoke in the hallway of the Senate. I was in the, you know, one of the Senate office buildings and you could smoke, you know, not in the Hill offices, but in the hallway. <clears throat> and at my desk at Roll Call newspaper, you could smoke after six. And we had a little like aluminum foil um, ashtrays, kind of like they used to have at McDonald's. And they had just changed the law, changed the rules so you could smoke after six. Before I started, you could smoke all day. So after six, you could smoke ah. at Roll Call, which, you know, most people were there. And I had a friend who worked at Time Magazine and she could smoke. They would give them on like Fridays when they were putting the magazine to bed, they would give everybody their favorite wine and cigarettes. This was not a thousand years ago, people. This, was, this is not know, Mad Men. This, this is, is not <laughs> Mad Men. This is like vaguely recent history. It was totally. But no now biggie. if you walk down the streets in D.C., I find I am much more likely to smell secondhand pot smoke than I am to smell secondhand cigarette smoke. Yes. Much more likely. And the polling reflects all those trends. So <laughs> <laughs> that's our we did not. They did not ask Gallup if you listen. We, we're not sure if you do. But if you do listen, we'd love to see how pot smokers feel about this question. <laughs> did they feel discriminated against? Yes. Uh, so let's take a brief uh, gander at this week in Trump. Uh, job approval still at 40 percent, still hasn't gone anywhere despite all of the kerfluffles of the last week or so. Um, numbers still holding pretty steady. Of course, that varies pollster to pollster. This is just an average. Um, and there is a lot of data that has come out that has not been good news, as as tends to be the case. Um, so we've got a little bit of polling here on Russia. Um, this is some numbers from the ABC Washington Post poll. Um, do you think the Russian government tried to influence the outcome of last fall's election? Um, and people nowadays, 60 percent say yes. That's up four points from April. And then when they say, well, do you think that some members of Trump's presidential campaign intentionally helped Russian efforts to influence the election or not? Those numbers are still only 41 percent. So it's 41 percent of 60 percent. So not a majority. Um, and I wonder, you know, on this question, it's not asking, do you believe that Trump's campaign worked with the Russians? Intentionally helped would imply that the Trump campaign was giving some kind of aid to right. the Russians. And you can argue that there is that even with Don Jr.'s as emails opposed to being accepting out, aid. as opposed to accepting aid. So it's kind of an odd question quirk there. I don't know if that's how I would have framed it. But you do wind up with 60 percent, again, thinking that the Russians tried to do something. And then of that 60 percent, 40 percent of them think and the Trump campaign helped. 
Right. And among Republicans, a third think Russia tried to influence the outcome and fewer than one in 10 think Trump's associates sought to help them. So a real big party difference there. And I think the fact that the reason the fact that the questions worded that way probably magnifies that party difference. But everybody's got a bunch of everyone's got Russia questions right now. So it's not just Washington Post, ABC. And our friend Ariel, bless her heart, our friend Ariel at Huffington Post pollster, who always seems to have a poll in the field. Uh, right at the moment that that story becomes irrelevant <laughs> and some new story breaks and she tweets about it. But we still love seeing her data because even though news is moving at a thousand miles per hour in our feeds, it still takes time for this stuff to sort of make its way into the bloodstream. So, Ariel, we still love you and we still love your polls. Yes. Um Yes, for sure. And so what else has come out? Oh, Monmouth has come out. So Monmouth asked about the meeting. So there are a couple different polls that asked about the meeting between – Don Don and uh, Russian folks and Russian lawyers and 59 percent felt it was inappropriate. About a third thought it was appropriate. Um, Half say the main purpose of the meeting was to get negative info on Clinton. A third feel it was for some other reason. Two thirds feel that Russia definitely or probably tried to interfere in the election. So that's a, you know, Pretty similar to what the Washington Post ABC uh, poll found. Um, and people feel that the inter- that the investigation should con- into Russian interference should continue. And a majority feel that Trump is too friendly toward Russia. That's a lot of different questions, a lot of different bites at the same apple. Yeah. Uh, what I think is interesting is this 59 percent find the meeting to be inappropriate. 31 percent find it to be appropriate. The reason why I I latch on to that number is that 31 percent who thinks it was totally appropriate for the Trump team and these Russian folks to meet is not too dissimilar from what we then later see in the um, Washington Post ABC poll where they asked for Trump's job approval. They found it at only 36 percent, so sort of below the average. Um, But then they asked some questions. One question about do you find Trump's tweeting to be – appropriate or inappropriate? Do you approve or disapprove of Donald Trump's use of Twitter? And do you believe that his behavior is presidential or unpresidential? And these numbers were lower even than his job approval. And in both cases, it was around one in four voters said, yes, I approve of Donald Trump's tweeting. Yes, I I approve of his uh, behavior. I believe that it's presidential. So there's a chunk of people that don't like him personally, that don't think that his behavior is appropriate. They wish this was not what we were having in the White House, but nonetheless will still say they approve of him in part because they want to see his policy agenda enacted or they think he'll be good in the economy or something else, that he does so much better on some of these issue questions than when it comes to anything pertaining to Russia or his temperament or his tweeting or all this other stuff that keeps creating this like ghastly sideshow. Right. And there's also some nuance within all these different dimensions, right? Because for sure, Democrats are going to be, you know, are unified on all this stuff, right? Democrats think the meetings are inappropriate, his tweets are inappropriate, his behavior is not presidential, they disapprove of him, you know, end of story. But for a group of folks, and we don't have the cross tabs for for all of this, and it's also we're talking about different outlets, but this is the this is the segment to to look for. Um, Folks who say, well, the meeting 
meeting might have been appropriate. It was a meeting. You know, why would that not be appropriate? And sure, it seems like Russia tried to get involved in our election. That doesn't mean I think that Trump's folks aided them or that he's an illegitimate president or what have you. Um, So you could think that there's, you know, uh, and I want to see the investigation continue. And he's sometimes unpresidential. You can kind of have all those you can hold all those positions at once. You could say, well, a meeting that his son had, I don't know, like I'm not kind of worked up about that, you know, but I think his tweets can be insulting, right? You can think all that together. Yeah. And this is, there's a, a new story that's broken within, I believe, the last week that actually makes the clearest potential link between the Russia story and the stuff that the campaign and political data world deals in all the time. So a story came out, I believe, late last week um, that was about uh, Cambridge Analytica and the digital program that the Trump campaign was running. And so this is very relevant to our show and to a lot of our listeners because so many of us deal in the voter targeting world. And there was a lot that was made about Trump's digital campaign and whether or not, you know, how savvy they were and how they were airing all or, you know, putting all of these ads in front of people on Facebook, these quote unquote dark ads, you know, that were so hyper targeted that if you were in the news media or in Washington or were left of center, you were never going to see that these ads even existed. They were just being targeted to people in very specific areas and precincts that the Trump campaign wanted to win. All of which is fine and a legitimate thing that campaigns can do. What wouldn't be legitimate is if you were passing information along to a foreign country saying, hey, here are the precincts and counties that we think are important. Would you mind trying to win over those voters? And so that is there is no strong evidence of anything like that having happened. But that is a new source of questions and a piece of investigation that is I, I think it's the Senate committee, one of the committees. I don't think it's Mueller. Well, I'm sure Mueller's also looking at this, but this is the link between the Russia story and what we talk about on this show. Mueller, Mueller's not taking a staycation right now. I, folks. Mueller <laughs> is not taking a staycation. Um, but that is a story that for those of us in the political and uh, political data world, just to keep an eye on, because that is the the the, the first salvo in a. How much does does uh, this world suddenly get tangled up in the whole Russia thing? Good stuff. Uh, and I, I would also add, by the way, so this I, – I went on Morning Joe last week and this story came up and they were having the same conversations about like it's so inappropriate for someone to, you know, have had these meetings and, um, you know, no – and even this morning on Morning Joe, no campaign operatives would ever feel it was ethical to take this meeting. And I actually asked a buddy of mine who's worked in the opinion research – or not opinion – Opposition research. Opposition research is different than opinion research. It is it is the digging up dirt on the opponent and digging up dirt on yourself to prepare. And what he sort of suggested is that there's a lot of folks that are kind of grandstanding publicly and saying, like, I would never take this meeting. This is so wrong. No one ever takes this meeting. And that that's only half true. And that in many cases – Lots of campaigns get weird overtures from people saying, hey, I've got weird dirt on your opponent. And that most of the time, campaigns will like half dismiss it and kind of just think like, oh, it's a crank. But that a good oppo researcher does not leave any lead unfollowed. And so in that case, the appropriate thing to do would be have a a deputy of a deputy of somebody not involved in the campaign – Go and have like a meeting at a coffee shop and figure out, is this lady crazy or what does she really want? Yes. But you would not have – But you would not have them sitting at three top people together 
for you, you wouldn't have the three top people together in a meeting for a whole lot of things anyway. You know, it, that's I mean, yeah. that's like you're using, especially a, a team that was not as big as the Trump team was. I mean, the Trump team was, you know, not like not that deep. They weren't that many people deep, and everybody, you know, yeah, like, they're basically three people deep, and all three people were at that meeting. Um, but yes, so, so I had gotten waved off yeah. of the like moral pronouncements that like obviously no one in politics does. This isn't so outside the bounds that instead, so. While certainly the meeting was inappropriate, I have I have backed off of the grand pronouncements that this is that nobody in politics ever does anything even remotely like this. The harsh reality is that this is an inappropriate meeting. Very unusual. Well trained campaigns would have handled this in a very different way. Yeah, and you know, op research. There's a sense that op research is like people digging through your trash can. Like when I have talked, gone to like candidate trainings or talked to young women who are thinking about running for office, there's always this like digging through my trash can like image that people have or I don't want people digging through my sister's trash can. Like there's not a whole lot of digging through trash cans. Like you have to really, you know, it, it, you have to really get to kind of the peak such as a presidential race before. Like that's – It's a lot of looking through like property tax Property files. taxes, voting records. Did you miss a vote somewhere? How many – where are you registered to vote? You know, have you been sued for your business? Those kinds of things. So it's yeah. not like, you know, jumping out from behind the bushes. It's and not, scaring it's people. mostly not like scandal. Yeah. <laughs> mostly. Mostly. <right? laughs> um, but Morning Consul and Politico also has a question about the meeting um, where they found, you know, Republicans less concerned about the meeting. 44% say it was appropriate, 24% say it was inappropriate. Um, Democrats obviously think that it was inappropriate. But then they asked that, so then the question also said there was a follow up saying, uh, Trump Jr. agreed to the meeting because the attorney was supposedly offering incriminating evidence about Clinton. And then slightly more people said it was appropriate. So um, that explanation, so that that's where this becomes tricky, right? Because, you know, on the one hand, people are saying, oh, well, that's really inappropriate for others. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's now that I understand why there was that meeting. Um, So uh, it doesn't necessarily clear things up for people. So this is this is going to continue to be a confusing, complicated issue for people. So back to this question of what is driving disapproval for Donald Trump. So we mentioned that um, even among people who approve of him, there are a pretty hefty number that are not thrilled with his uh, how he comports himself. In Gallup's poll, they asked everybody who disapproved of the job pre- uh, President Trump was doing why they disapproved. And the top results were all things that were character or personality related, things like he's not presidential or he has a bad temperament or he's inexperienced and he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, things that were related to policy were much uh, less often uh, mentioned. And there were some uh, – 7% just had a sort of generic, I disagree with what he's doing. I mean that could kind of mean anything. Um, but for the most part, it said only 16% of those who disapproved of him named some kind of specific issue or policy-related uh, beef. And this, again, it feeds into what we saw from uh, the ABC Washington Post poll where you have this group of people who even those who approve of him don't think that the temperament piece is is working for them. Yeah. I mean, you hear it in focus groups. We're like, well, I wish you wouldn't tweet so much. And, you know, the the tweet results, Twitter results from the Washington Post ABC poll. I mean, this is certainly no surprise. I mean, the other thing, in addition to his obvious 
personality, you know, dominance, right? The fact that that dominates the news. There's also, and we could talk about this as we talk about healthcare. I mean, he is not, he's hard to pin down on some issues too, you know? I mean, sure. So he doesn't have like issue consistency, and that could be part. That can contribute to the fact that is that what people don't. Which is like what, what's it's interesting then is so Bloomberg did this poll that was less about um, it was more about the policy outcomes that Trump has been consistent about. So he may not we may not know exactly what his plan is to revive the coal industry, but we know he keeps talking about wanting to revive the coal industry. We may not know what this these is Bloomberg trade, Seltzer. By this the is way. Bloomberg Seltzer. Um, we may not know what tax reform will look like, but we know that he wants to reform the tax code. And so they asked, do you think that he will accomplish these things within the next four years, building a wall on the Mexican border? Only 30 percent think that will be accomplished. 67 percent say no, it will not. Um, but deporting millions of immigrants living illegally in the U.S., 53 percent think that he will be successful in wow. that. Um, that to me – and that's a jump too from when they asked that question in December. That seems like an astounding number. I mean deporting millions of immigrants like like that is a – And it doesn't mean everybody answering this question wants this to happen. Yes. It's, this is an assessment of whether yes. you think it will happen. Yes. That now this is viewed as much more likely. That is a, a, a horrifically um, disruptive thing, more so, I think, than building a wall. And, it, you know, I'm amazed that a majority mm-hmm. of Americans think that that seem, is likely to happen. He's, he's lost ground a little bit on the question of trade deals. So there were three of these that were asked back in December. Uh, building a wall, those numbers have stayed co- constant. Uh, deportation of millions of immigrants, those numbers, a lot more people think that will be accomplished. Um, but about 12 percent fewer people think that Trump will create trade deals with other countries that are more beneficial to the U.S., though it is still a majority. Half think that he will, in the next four years, bring a substantial number of jobs to uh, at U.S. corporations back to the U.S. from other countries. 66 percent think he'll make significant cuts in government regulation. But less than half think that he will revive the coal industry or achieve tax reform. So should we talk about the wall before we go on to healthcare? Yes. So let's Since talk we briefly about the, anyway. about the wall. I've got to find the results of my – I'm so excited about this. So you all have heard me talk um, a little bit about – You had a hypothesis. I had a hypothesis. And it was tr- it turned out to be true. That if you talked about building a wall on the southern border, you would have a very – partisan response, right, of people who really like it and people who really don't. And that if you then added in what President Trump has talked about multiple times now, this is no longer just a thing he threw off the cuff at a one interview. A bag he threw over. I think he mentioned it like four times in one of his off-the-record press conference thingy. I mean, the solar wall is a real thing, guys. It's a real thing he's talking about. And so I wanted to know, if you introduce the concept of it being a solar wall, do you pick up any support from the left? Do you lose any support from the right? So we asked this on our latest Trump country survey. So this is not a national sample. This is just Trump country. Um, but we find that Trump country voters actually narrowly oppose the construction of a border wall by 50 to 44 percent. Now, bear in mind that the way we are defining Trump country is not Trump voters, It is people who live in the counties that flipped and became Republican or Trump counties after having in the past either been Democratic counties or having been pretty weak Republican counties that have gotten more strongly for Trump. So these are not deep red places. This is mostly your sort of moderate-y, swingy kind of 
uh, blue-collar, white working-class places in the upper Midwest. And here you actually had 42 percent saying that they strongly opposed the wall, uh, 33 percent saying they strongly supported the wall. When you change it to be the solar wall, the strong support and strong opposition both fall. People get a little more confused about it to where you only have 26 percent strongly supporting and you have 34 percent strongly opposing. It throws things a little out of whack. So strongly supporting the wall among Republicans is 67 percent. When it becomes a solar wall, that falls 15 points. Wait a minute. What do you mean you're putting solar wall panels on the wall? Among uh, <laughs> Democrats. But why does that – why? if Why? I, that's – I mean, I guess – Because then it sounds like maybe it's like a like a liberal scam or something. Yeah. Solar panels are great, guys. Don't don't hate. Uh, but then among Democrats – We have solar panels on our house. Probably not a surprise to anybody. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, 78 percent of Democrats oppose the wall. But when you say you'll put solar panels on it, opposition falls by 12 points. It be, or strong opposition falls by 12 points. Suddenly only 66 percent strongly oppose it. Excellent. So it doesn't dramatically change things. But no. it, it scrambles things for enough people – to amuse me. Yes. But you know what? I mean, the truth is we Trump can barely get health care in the news. We can barely – there's barely enough news time for a health care conversation, which we're going to now go to, let alone the solar wall, which, you know, has – you wait. It's going to happen, Margie. Solar panels. I, I, I like your question. I like your hypo- your research question. You had a hypothesis, tested, confirmed, discussed. <laughs> like that is the scientific method at, at The way we described it, by the way, in the question is President Trump has said that he would like to – well, first we said President Trump has proposed building a wall along the southern border of the United States. Would you support or oppose building this wall? Then we said President Trump has said that he would like the wall along the southern border to be what he calls a solar wall where there would be solar panels built onto the wall. Again, I don't have the blueprints for the solar wall. I don't know how to accurately describe it. But this was sort of the vague vague overlay. And by the way, so I just (laughs) – brief – Rant um, noticed this weekend a very interesting thing rolled out by our friends at NBC Wall Street Journal, a Trump country survey. Wait a second. That sounds Wait familiar. a second. Which, hey, look, lots of people use the phrase con- Trump country. That's fine. Uh, got more interesting when we took a look and they were sort of defining their universe in a pretty similar way to echelons. In fact, uh, calling their buckets of counties – Trump flip and Trump surge counties, which is exactly the terms that we use to describe oh, they them. They use the exact same term. in our terms, mm-hmm. in our research. So mm-hmm. it was interesting. Look, people in the research world will uh, copy best practices from others all the time. Surge is not like a brand new word. Right. This is, so, hey, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Congratulations, NBC Wall Street Journal. Welcome to the game. Uh, but I was just, I, I was like, huh. This is um this is amusing. It's like exactly the same thing Echelon started doing four months ago. Welcome, welcome to the party, guys. Well, let's talk a little bit about healthcare, and then we're going to talk even more about Trump Country. Yes. So, because there's a lot to say about Trump Country, um, and how, and even discussions about Trump Country. But well, there are also questions about how is there too much of a focus on Trump? On- yes. Yeah, so uh, it makes sense to me that multiple outlets are studying 
Trump country because you see it not just in the quantitative but in the qualitative. So in like trend stories in the New York Times and elsewhere, lots of people going out and ta- trying to find Trump voters. These Trump voters are still with Trump. They're sticking with him no matter what. PPP had a poll that just came out this morning um, asking – we've seen polling on this before, but they, we've seen it now again um, – if Trump shot someone on Fifth Avenue, would you approve or disapprove of the job he's doing as president? 22% said yes. Um, so it, this continues to be a conversation about, well, you know, the intensity of Trump's support. Who are Trump's voters? Do they feel, you know, left behind, left out, et cetera? And there's been pushback online and from a variety of outlets to say maybe we're spending too much time studying Trump voters, that we are spending too much time trying to understand, um, you know, where Trump voters are coming from. And we didn't do a similar thing when Obama was president. We didn't look at Obama voters and who they were, who they are. Um, and there are no stories about Clinton voters who live in Trump counties and Trump states uh, and Trump cities trying to figure out how it, you know, how are they feeling in these places? Although I'm sure there are, but this is the conversation online. And then there's some new polling by Cornell Belcher, a uh, friend of the show who we hope to get on the show um, uh, soon. And he did some work for the Civic Engagement Fund and he's on a podcast now with Jonathan Capehart interviewed. And there's also a story uh, editorial in the New York Times today that draws on his work saying that we should be looking instead of Democrats and others wondering about Democrats and and swingy former Democrats in Trump areas. We should be looking at Democrats who feel disaffected, millennials, people of color who say, you know, I, I, I feel like I wasn't, you know, I haven't been given good choices. I feel left behind. I feel like nobody cares. I mean, some really pretty heavy quotes in some of the work that Cornell did um, and that we should be looking at those voters, that those voters, if you had, you know, with a race as close as it was, those voters really could have made the difference rather than going after voters who where the areas have been moving away from Democrats for a long time. And I heard another person say, you know, when we have these conversations about how do these Trump voters feel that it, in you know, instead of these Trump voters being portrayed as folks who are left out of the political process, they are, in fact, given now, you know, full, far more um political clout than other folks who feel who truly feel left out of the process. Uh, one of the things when I was flipping through, so we've we've got a bunch of these slides here, um, a slide that looked very familiar to me, like I had a visceral reaction to it when I saw it, is one that he calls community, it's listed your community sentiments. When given one word to describe Democrats, the focus group members, the focus This is from Cornell. From Cornell's research. Yeah. Focus group members use the following. Elitist, non-transparent, corrupt, dishonest, arrogant, weak, no conviction, cannot win, losers, disconnected, lazy, entitled. This, I remember doing research four years ago for Republicans and doing these focus groups and saying, when you hear the word Republicans, what do you think of? And like this whole laundry list of horrible words comes out. 
old-fashioned. Is that the thing that was in the New York Times magazine? The thing that was the New York okay. Times magazine. Because I didn't, I don't think I, I didn't know you then. Well, I just knew you a little bit, and I saw that, and I was like, and I, and I imagined what it'd be like where you're like writing on the board. You're like, okay, give me another. <laughs> okay, you here's another terrible world. Knowing that there's a reporter in the back room, I was yep. like, oh, that must have been fun. Like, oh, that's great. Any more terrible words? <laughs> so luckily for me, this was. I think it was not the first stop in our research oh, that's good. journey. <laughs> I don't think it was, or at, at the very least i had done enough research before then to like kind of know what i was getting into um but yeah so seeing that i'm like oh cornell had the same thing happen a focus group where you're like tell me what one word you would use to describe democrats and it's just like a torrent of bad yeah no it's i mean look i think everybody feels this way you know i mean lots of people feel this way i guess the point is from this research and just the broader conversation is there are a whole lot of people who feel this way and are is the press focused on just some people who feel this way and not all the people who feel this way. That if people of color and younger voters feel this way and they're not getting as much attention as Trump voters because people are really interested in Trump voters and what makes them tick, which I can appreciate as well the reality that those voters also did not feel that they get ad- adequate attention or coverage from from the media so or from politicians. So there are a lot of people who feel left out and that political parties are not paying attention to them. And I think Cornell's work reminds us that maybe we're not having enough of a conversation about, you know, all the folks who feel left behind. We did a little Twitter poll that said, do you feel there are too many or the right amount or not enough stories about Trump voters or Trump country? And two-thirds said there are too many. Uh, so we also have some polling in here from Washington Post ABC News where they looked at based on whether you were a Trump voter uh, or – pardon me, Trump approver, not Trump voter, but you know, Trump supporter or not. Um, how does that affect your likelihood to vote in the midterms? And so when Republicans had this debate back eight years ago – and then again, four years ago, the context was always that we were then headed into a midterm election. And so there was a lot of this like, oh, no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? But then a midterm came around. And in midterms, the electorate is a little older, a little whiter. And so some of these, you know, the the enthusiasm gap was suddenly on our side and everything seemed hunky-dory. The enthusiasm gap does not look great for Democrats right now. So even if Cornell's right that that there are these other voters that you've got to be talking to. The the enthusiasm gap right now is that Trump supporters are much more likely to say they are absolutely certain to vote in the midterms. So even as Trump's numbers are low, if his supporters are more engaged and active, they're going to play an outsized role in the results of the midterms. Here they have 72% of those who strongly approve of Trump saying they are absolutely certain to vote in the midterms. Of strong disapprovers, that's only 61%. And these, I mean, these are both people that have strong views on the president. These are not mushy, I don't know, I guess he's kind of okay. That the strong approvers have more enthusiasm than the strong disapprovers is like, has to be something that the folks at the NRCC are like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. About. Yeah. There's some good news from that poll. I mean, and then the other thing, I mean, there are a couple other things from this poll for Democrats to, as watchouts, as they say. Um, they said, you know, one of the questions, do you think the Democratic Party currently stands for something or just stands against Trump? And majority said just stands against Trump. Uh, 37% says stands for something. Even among Democrats, 61% of Democrats think the Democratic Party stands for something. That's not, you know, that's not a lot. I mean, it's a lot, but it's not 
you know, universal from the people who identify as Democrats. Now, you can argue that Democrats own that problem. You could argue that there's just no way to get anything else out there. You know, it's just it's just Trump. It's just Trump. You know, Trump's world. We're all living in it. And there's no way to get anything else, any other kind of message out there. Regardless, that's the reality that that um, the polling reflects. Um and then there was another question, and this is good news for, for Democrats. Would you rather see the next Congress controlled by Democrats to act as a check on Trump or controlled by Republicans to support Trump's agenda? Um, in that question, a majority say controlled by Democrats. Now, that, you know, those kinds of questions, especially spelled out that way, don't necessarily really reflect how people vote per se, because People like the idea of checks. They don't necessarily vote that way or think of that strategic voting. We've done a lot of focus groups. We did focus groups with Walmart moms on this during the last set of midterms and people were, you know, really unsure as to how, you know, what the what the process was, let alone, you know, who's in control or whether or not your seat matters and all those kinds of things that, you know, ask voters to know a little bit more about the House playing field than uh, than than most care to know. So, um some mixed news for Democrats from some of this recent polling. Um, so it's not just bad news for Trump. There's also some, you know, some good lessons, I think, for Democrats and what's out there. Well, the other thing that may affect the midterms is whether or not zombie Ahaka Bikra wasn't it called Aura for like five seconds this week. There was a new acronym. I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, whatever that, it is, that, it has a lot of problems besides the, the acronym. The, the, the thing acronym's that the least seems of the problems. like it's not going anywhere through the Senate. A uh, little bit of polling. Monmouth uh, did some polling um, about the Senate bill. Uh, found only twenty seven percent approving of it. Uh, only twenty one percent. Uh, viewing it as a genuine attempt to fix the health care system, whereas 44 percent think Republicans mostly want to pass this so they can claim a political victory. 30 percent say both reasons equally. So you can add that together and get to 51 percent who think that it's a genuine attempt to fix the health care system. If you if you add together the people that think it's both as yeah. well as just the people that, that sure. think there's no politics. Uh, but the number's still not not great and so sort of unsurprising given all of the stuff we've talked about uh, over the last few months that this was just too tough a political sell in the Senate. Now, of course, the folks that really were the – came out jointly as the 51st and 52nd no vote so that neither of them can be blamed as being the 51st no vote, um, Senator Moran and Senator Lee, uh, they are not folks that are really at big risk of – you know, the resist like uh, a challenge from the left or a challenge from the center, that these are folks that were more opposing it from the conservative wing. And so it's just always going to be challenging because you've got folks on the right that think it's not right enough. You've got folks in the middle that think it's not middle enough, that this was just always going to be really hard to do. Yeah. And, you know, for all the mocking people do of Democrats and, uh, and our messaging, there was l no messaging around this for among Republicans by Republicans. And so none at all. I mean, literally none. So they were like, oh, well, maybe if people know little about it, then they won't learn how much they don't like it, I guess. And it, that turned out to not, you know, I don't know if that I mean, I don't think the other strategy would have been helpful either, but this strategy didn't seem to work. So, you know, the question now is. Is this actually good news? Are they – is everybody breathing a sigh of relief? My guess is no. But maybe there's a sigh of relief like, you know what? We actually don't want to run on 
this bill anyway. So it's fine that it failed because if it failed, then we won't be blamed for it. It'll just be – we're just a do-nothing Congress as opposed to like a kick people off their health care Congress. Um and, you know, it, it, it won't matter. There will be no repercussions for folks wherever they were, wherever they said they were on this because it, people will have forgotten um, or that it just, you know, it will just have died a natural death. Um, but the question is, though, if this now compounds other, you know, attempts to do anything else – yeah, for fiscal reasons, and we, we're not going to go into. We it. won't go into. It's going to make tax reform yeah. more complicated, and politically, it just shows how you know how what a mess it all is, and how little clout Trump has in getting things done, and so on. And you know, people aren't going to be willing to work with him, et cetera, et cetera. So all those things together, does this mean that like nothing is going to happen? And if really, literally, nothing happens, then then what happens politically? So we don't know the answer. To that yet, it's hard to really game all that stuff out from the public polling. Um, but it, it does seem pretty the, – the healthcare polling could really not be more clear. <laughs> People have not liked this since the beginning. So um, so I guess congrats to Republicans to listening to public opinion. Okay. Speaking of public opinion. <laughs> Are we calling this public opinion? <laughs> Are we really? Uh, so Pew has done some research on – online harassment and people getting trolled on the internet and have found that about 41% of U.S. adults say they have experienced some form of online harassment. Um, and this is uh, – most of it comes under the umbrella of quote-unquote uh, less severe behaviors. So offensive name-calling, 27%. Man, I experienced that before. I got out of bed this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't look at Twitter. Uh, purposeful embarrassment, 22%. More severe behaviors. Physical threats, 10%. Sustained harassment, 7%. Stalking, 7%. And sexual harassment, 6%. Um, 18% of people total have experienced at least one of those more severe behaviors. That's yeah. terrifying. It is, and there's just a pretty massive gender gap here, and it's not a surprise that women face more online harassment and they feel more worried about online harassment. So they have a question, you know, what's more important to be able – that people are able to speak their minds freely online or feel welcome and safe online, and a majority of men say it's more important to be able to speak your mind online – Almost two-thirds of women say it's more important to feel welcome and safe online. This is a, you know, this is a pretty, you know, clear gender divide. It makes a lot of sense it, to me that there's a gender divide here. Um, and it is, you know, is obviously a constant challenge that people face. Yeah. Well, and uh, harassment is not – so in a way, the, the most jarring harassment I have gotten in my professional career has not been online. It's when people – come offline and mail things to your office. If you yeah. are a listener, don't you freaking dare. I got a postcard last week with a bunch of creepy nonsense on it. Oh, the like sent ransom to, note kind of? Yeah, sent to my new yeah. office. Uh, like four years ago, I had to get the FBI involved because a dude had like Google mapped his way to my office and was like contacting my parents and the church where I got married and it was a whole deal. So frankly, like people tweeting mean things at me, like that, whatever. I can mute or ignore or like change the settings so that egg accounts and bots don't show up anymore. Like, that's great. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that guys sometimes don't quite understand. Like, I've almost never heard of a guy getting, like, 
a creepy, sexually charged piece of mail sent to their office. Right. Because someone saw them on television or whatever. Like, I don't think that some guys get, like, how common this is for women who do right. that type of stuff and on to, or work and, in politics. Exactly. And not just that. It's what the implication or if you just, you know – game that out a couple steps that means you know you could be really in physical danger and you know men getting a like a weird email from or tweet from somebody doesn't make them think oh my gosh i really need to be careful when i go to my car at night you know so so guys that's that's the story i know there's been a lot of psas and i know know, all of our listeners are nice non-trolly people yes we don't get a lot of twitter trolls but the gender gap in experience and perceptions of her online harassment is pretty serious it reflects a real reality but now we have the quantitative to back up our own personal qualitative rose i love it when people say well i have an insize of one (laughs) have you heard people say that to you when they're like about to tell you some story about themselves you're like okay that's not how that works (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's just say this is qualitative let's just, it's qualitative it's not okay, you're not son an end size of one if you're just about to tell me what happened to you yesterday um anyway so that's from pew my anniversary but also worldwide emoji day and everyone's favorite social media account right after Kristen's is the miriam webster social media account <laughs> and they had an emoji quiz which you can go and we'll link to it it is, you know, it was tough. It was hard. There was some, you know, they right, had to take this right now while we're doing this. So d- how did the, the interns do? Because our interns, the interns took, took it. I love that they put in the script how they did. And then helpfully, this was very helpful of Mary Webster. And they clearly put a lot of thought into it. They had how you did compared to other people in your age group, which I was very appreciative because I didn't really do so great, but I did beat people in their 40s. So that made me feel. Uh, I just got my first question wrong. Which emoji is intended to represent confusion? I picked the one where the person's got like the hand under right. their face going That's like thinking hmm, wrong. It's just a like a half frown. Yes. Okay. So next one. Which emoji used to exist on iOS but has been removed? Right. So some of them are uh, like Mount Rushmore. No, that's what I guess too. Department store. Next question. That's what I guess too. Which creature animal is most represented? I'm gonna go. Birds? Mammals. Wow. I'm zero for three. Okay. I'm going to stop doing this and embarrass myself. <laughs> Kristen has the emoji skills of a 70-year-old. It took like, no, it, I, it got better for me. It's oh, so, I got one right. The emoji for hugging. I correctly identified it. I, uh, it, 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 it goes through highs and lows, peaks and valleys, that quiz. Um, so the intern, so one of my interns who is um, in high school got a little over 1,000 points below the average score of all age groups. And then one of Kristen's interns got to over 2,000 points. So, you know, it's pretty. They're teaching those kids all sorts of stuff there at Harvard. Yeah. (laughs) But I think not quite where someone should be in their 20s. But, you know, getting there, he doesn't know the names of the moon phases because there is a quiz like, okay, this emoji, is it showing like waxing gibbons or waning gibbons. Like, I don't know what the... So it's, you really need to know the so moon I'm, phase is uh, not the emoji I'm starting part. to get things right by just assuming the answer is always Japan. Right. Um, That's what happened to me. That happened we're to me too. go... Where I got... Uh, one of my things this. that I got wrong was I said, which emoji is banned on television? And I assumed it was eggplant because there's this... As opposed to... But it's middle finger, which it should have been obvious. But like, you know, we have... Americans can be a little puritanical so i thought oh well, it's going to be eggplant we're going to be in favor of like cursing and violence but not something a little bit more sexual so 
But I was wrong about that. So it's just it's just the easiest answer was the right answer, which is middle finger. So I'm just going to spoil alert for that one. For that one, um, I'm 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 just failing all over the place. <laughs> one, it was a it was it looked like a hospital with a heart, but no, it's a love hotel. I know, right? So I got, I got that, that one wrong. wrong too. Are you? I think that's a wrestling mask. <laughs> no, it is not. It's no. hours of minutes of enjoyment, folks. Which emoji is censored on US network television? Oh, it's gotta be the middle finger. Yeah, that was where I thought I was being like But I know the eggplant right. has a double meaning. That's right. That's what I thought. It was the eggplant. Like there was a documentary this film oh, is I not keep yet. Because you gotta answer them fast. Oh, that's why I keep screwing up. Which emoji is the best expression of a student's job? Well, Kristen's going to have to go. Hand clap. Kristen's going to have to go to the Princeton review of the emoji quiz. I don't understand. (laughs) All right, I got seventeen forty. So that's not great. Not Um, great. Okay. Well, I'm the selfie vote person, not the emoji vote person. So I claim innocence. I, I'm not supposed to be an expert in this. You know who claimed to be an expert in this this week? Paul, Paul Ryan. Ryan. He put out a whole video about how he just texts his kid full of emojis. But what Speaking about Ryan? It's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to do this. <laughs> so, okay, our key findings. All these stories about Trump and Russia might drive me to revisit my smoking days. Good thing there's still health care. We like Trump stories and we like Trump voter stories and non-Trump voter stories. Mark us down for all of the above. And if we had a solar wall in Washington this week, we'd all be zillionaires, I guess, or the government would be zillionaires. We have plenty of energy and I'm still with it. I beat my fellow Gen X, Gen Xers in the emoji quiz. Maybe I can challenge Chris Saliza next, known, also known for his emoji prowess. <laughs> You can find us. On- that was very gentle. That was very gentle. You, you can find us on Twitter and at the pollsters individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at Gay Soltis Anderson. You can find us on Facebook where throughout the week we post links to the stories we think are fascinating. And you can also find us at www.thepolsters.com. Don't forget to like us, leave a review, tell your friends, subscribe to our show. We're always grateful that you've listened. Great. Thanks. Bye.